You're listening to Fusion Patrol, a listener-supported podcast. Each week, we take a single episode of a science fiction TV series, movie, or audio and overanalyze it to within an inch of its life. Welcome to the discussion. Hello and welcome to another episode of Fusion Patrol. I'm Eugene. And I'm Simon. And tonight we are looking at the first of three of the Doctor Who 60th anniversary specials. First one, The Star Beast by Russell T. Davies. And I did not write down the authors, but this is based on a comic book. Pat Mills and Dave Gibbons. That's the names. From the 70s. 1980. 1980? Is that when Doctor Who Weekly yeah, started? I was from don't know if it's when it started, but it was when the Star Beast was published. Well, it's the second story after the, I think the Roman Legions or something like that. The Iron Legion. Iron, Le- Iron Legion. There we go. Yeah. All right. So there we go. That's what this is based upon, featuring David Tennant as the Doctor. Starting with the synopsis. The newly regenerated Doctor, suffering no obvious post-regenerative effects, arrives in London where he almost immediately encounters Donna Noble, followed by her daughter Rose, and a crashing alien spacecraft. The Doctor also meets Donna's husband, Sean, a taxi driver, and heads off to intercept the spacecraft. Unit has descended on a steelworks, where the craft has made a controlled landing. The Doctor chooses to keep out of sight of the Unit troops, but he's soon spotted by Shirley Bingham, Unit's current scientific advisor. The Doctor explains his dilemma. For some reason... He's got an old face back, and he's been plunked down right next to Donna Noble. And there's an alien invasion. Something is up, but if Donna ever remembers him, she will die. He also points out that the ship was damaged by weapons fire, which means there are two alien invaders. Rose has gone to see the escape pod, which landed near her house, and then, upon return to her shed, has found the meat, a creature so cute you could sell them by the millions if you had a little shop. I'd love a little shop. The Meep is afraid, for there are monsters pursuing the... Unit has located the escape pod, and the Doctor hitches a lift to see it, and realizes it is right near Donna's house. At least, I think that's why he goes straight to Donna's house. At the spaceship, a squad of Unit soldiers are taken over by the craft, and proceed to search for the Meep. In Rose's shed, Donna discovers the Meep, and a flap ensues. Sylvia, Donna's mother pretends like there's nothing there because she knows if Donna remembers about her journeys through space and time, she will die. The doctor arrives and starts to try to deal with the Meep. The explained that the Wrath Warriors have hunted Meep kind to extinction, and the is the only one left. The possessed unit soldiers arrive at the front door. The Wrath Warriors arrive at the back door, and the shooting begins. The doctor gets them out of the house and into Sean's taxi. Along the way, the Doctor notices something curious. They escape, but not before the Roth warriors notice them and open fire. In an empty car park, the Doctor stops and holds court, conveniently summoning two Roth warriors out of thin air. The Doctor, as judge, presents the evidence that he has amassed. The Roth warriors are firing non-lethal weapons and are not killing the unit soldiers, but instead stunning them. Fails to mention that they blew up two walls out of Donna's house with explosions that could have easily killed someone. He also posits that the mind-controlled unit soldiers are actually under the Meep's control and trying to rescue them. The Wrath Warriors explain the Meep is the last of the kind, a race of beings mutated into cruel evil killers by their son when it went mad. 
The Meep responds by killing the Wrath Warriors with a concealed weapon, just as the possessed unit soldiers arrive. The Doctor bluffs his way into getting himself and Donna's family taken prisoner, rather than killed outright. They are taken back to the Meep's starship, which has been repaired by a team of more possessed workers. The starship uses a dagger drive which will destroy and consume London upon takeoff. The Doctor and the gang are rescued by Shirley, and while Donna's family tries to escape, the Doctor heads to disable the ship. Donna has been increasingly remembering the Doctor in an oblique way and almost instinctively follows him into the starship. They get sealed in before the Doctor can send her away. The engine compartment is split in two by the biggest plot contrivance in the history of television, and with Donna's consent, the Doctor must perform an undelete on the files in Donna's head, even knowing that it is certain death for Donna. They stop the ship and, bonus, undo all the physical damage to London. Donna dies in the Doctor's arms, but the Meep is still at large and plans to destroy the ship. This is where Rose comes in to save the day, for she too has the mind of a Time Lord passed down by Donna, which has split the metacrisis between them, which also means Donna isn't actually dead. The Doctor then causes the Meep's escape cod to eject, allowing the Roth warriors to apprehend the. The split metacrisis only delays the inevitable, and now Donna and Rose are on a countdown to die. Fear not, they're women, and they can just let it go, thus ending the metacrisis. Just let it go? Clearly Donna has never met Donna. Later, Donna goes with the doctor for one last trip, just to see Wilf and let him know that everything has been resolved and Donna is safe. However, Donna spills coffee on the new TARDIS console, and they are off on an uncontrolled journey into time and space. The end. So, start piece. David tended back, Donna Noble back, RTD back. What do you think? Well, it's come with a lot of expectations, hasn't it? There's this, what do I think of it as an adaptation of the star beast or what do i think of it as a continuation of the doctor and donna saga or what do i think of it as a 60th anniversary special or what do i think of it as the continuation of doctor who from power of the doctor so all of the above <laughs> there are probably other things i haven't thought of as well um i mean i i think the first thing is i definitely enjoyed it i I didn't like everything, but, you know, I had a very good time watching it. Um, I'll, and... I'll I'll just say before we get too cynical on this, I watched it twice and I I thoroughly enjoyed it both times. So I think it was an enjoyable it. hour of TV both times. Yeah, One a little hours. less the second time, but yeah, after watching it twice. I, I, th um, I think I enjoyed it a little bit more the second time, which I think may be partly to do with the kind of adjusted expectations around it um and I, I tell you what when i was watching it the second time one of the things that i noticed that i'm sure influenced my first you know how much i enjoyed my first watching was and this is like absolutely not news but my god david tennant is good as the doctor yeah he's 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 good yeah yeah he's 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 still in fine form I think I was just expecting it the first time round, but when I when I kind of watched his performance the second time, I watched the detail in it. He is just remarkably good, and I, I found things to enjoy in every performance as the Doctor, and several of them, you know, I I really think are great. 
really great. And but there are there are certain. I mean, I think this is why Tenant coming back is the 60th anniversary treat. It's like the 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 kind of two doctors that people think of are Tom Baker and David Tennant, essentially. Yeah, and I, you know, I think there's a huge amount. You, you, I can, I can watch the worst Tom Baker serial, but just really enjoy everything that he does in, you know, in his performance. And so I, and I, I think there is something about that in Tennant in, and it, and, and it's, I mean, the other remarkable thing about it is, I mean, obviously he was back as the Doctor 10 years ago, but it, it's pretty much 13 years since he was the Doctor. So, and there have been, oh God, he enumerated them, didn't he? But three other Doctors in between. So this is this is pretty much like, what if, what if Peter Davison had regenerated into Patrick Troughton? It's that uh-huh. kind of gap which i i find difficult to get my head around because it feels like yesterday that he stopped being the doctor but if you look at clips from the original run my god he was young my god oh yeah the earlier ones he really looks like a kid you think he hasn't changed but he oh yeah he does no he looks older he does well i wouldn't say he looks which... old but he looks kind of thin and there's a lot more going on with his hair to i well yeah and obviously there's the reference in it to, you know, how long you can get away with wearing a suit like that. Yep. Yep. Which clearly doesn't fit the way it's buttoned up. It just clearly doesn't fit right. Yeah, it does seem to fit even less well than his original costume. Yeah. And and that, I mean, let's hop into the, the you know, we I think we discussed this at, at the end of The Power of the Doctor. It regenerated into new clothes or a variation of one of the variations of his old clothes. Okay. Well, it's Which, not, it's, it's not an old costume. Is I know it? it's we completely, it's a completely new costume, but it's, a, it's, it's of the same style. I.e. the clothes came with it. Well, I think his trousers generation from Troughton or possibly Hartnell. <laughs> but, but the, the style to cut the, yeah. yet it doesn't fit. It fits like maybe it was supposed to be on him when he was the doctor and yet he is older, and so taking a page from the Moffat book where we now have established that if you pull a doctor forward through time, they get older and then snap back when they go back. I'm kind of halfway thinking that this inner, this regeneration has somehow been obviously tampered with by the boss, we could talk about later, but so in other words, that's why, yes, that's why he's in the clothes that would be appropriate for that doctor or a set of clothes appropriate. Hey, yet they don't fit. Well, because you know, took him a pair of clothes, pulled him for maybe from some time when he was wandering around before the Ood took him down, you know, when he was on his own. Maybe he had that suit on at one point, and this is where that pattern has been pulled from. But it's odd that it doesn't quite fit. Um it, I, it goes with that whole the body has changed. I don't know. I mean I said quite a lot about I, I, I said quite a lot about regenerating into the clothes when we talked about Paris Doctor that I can't quite believe was a year ago. And I don't really have anything to add to that except to say that I want an explanation for it and I am distinctly less confident that we're going to get oh, an explanation you're for you're not going to get one. 
No, I don't think we are going to get one for it. I, I can. I, I mean, I'll be happy if when Shooty Gatwa regenerates, he's in Jody Whitaker's clothes. That would be the. It's like okay, this was such a weird anomaly that you know now we've. we've but anyway, that yeah, I mean, there's yeah, no, that, that I, would, I'm going to be okay. But I, I kind of think that RTD has just. I mean, it's ironic because it's so unnecessary. But he's re, he's regenerated him into this costume directly because he didn't want to have a wardrobe scene it's like that that would have that would have slowed things down and and tenant is back for three episodes and he's like i'm i'm not i'm not giving it i'm not giving it a wardrobe scene so let's just deal with this at the at the point of he regeneration didn't. but he didn't need to do that because we there's a cut you know at the end of power of the doctor we could see him in jodie whitaker's costume and at the beginning of this, clearly, well, some time has passed because he's got a new Sonic, which I believe is from a comic strip that has happened. And there's also been the Children in Need special. So other things have happened. They could have included Tennant going off and sorting himself out in the TARDIS wardrobe without it being televised. And absolutely, that would have made me happy. Yeah. I, I'm gonna I'm gonna pass something on that I've got in my notes here. I was gonna bring this up a little bit later, but I think it it goes to this idea about the clothes changing and no explanation and whatnot. So there is there is one two word phrase that comes to my mind when I think of Stephen Moffat doing the Doctor. Not necessarily just his time, but Stephen Moffat, what he's done with Doctor Who, and those two words are "don't blink." Okay, that's just that's just indelibly blunt in my mind about Stephen Moffat. Don't blink. It's it's the key thing. For RTD, this needs to be don't think. <laughs> because the reason I enjoyed the Star Beast a bit less the second time, I still enjoyed it. It's like fun romp. RTD is brilliant at a fun romp. I will give him that. I have complained in the past about the fact that he just absolutely does not care about setting up a solution to his story. And just like flip, 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 done. He he's terrible at resolving plots, but he's fantastic at making a fun rob. I give him that. But do not think about what you see on the screen. Because if you do, it's just like that big plexiglass thing that comes down in the middle of the engine room. What? <laughs> what possible use could that be? But <laughs> you know, and it's not like it's something that the meat put up. Because it knew the Doctor and Donna were down there, it's, it then you could see the line where the plexiglass thing is going to bisect it the whole time. It's like it's part of the design of the engine room, and don't think, just don't think it's there to create the drama. It's not there because there's a good reason for it whatsoever. So, uh, and RTD will never, you know, will never care. Yeah, about I've that. Won- I've watched it twice and didn't think of that. And I mean, I agree with you. I do think sometimes that it can be so sort of carelessly done that it is distracting. I mean, it's detrimental to the story. But at the same time, what you need is an explanation for it. I mean, like the plexiglass screen and the effect it has in that scene is really, it, you know, it works really well. It's just, you're absolutely right. What the hell is it for? You know, the meat gave us and i didn't write it down but it was like some bisect the draw that was that was the actual line bisect the something or other and 
which is very clear. We're going to cut something in two parts. And there you go. We cut the engine room in two parts. But if it had been a line like lower the radiation dampeners, then you'd have just gone, okay, well, that's something to do with the design of the ship to compartmentalize yeah, or an airlock radiation or, some, or, or something. Yeah. But no, <laughs> it's just cut the room in half device. Okay. Yeah, I wondered what that button does. Yeah. Yeah. And so the second viewing, I'm taking notes. And therein lies the problem. Whenever I take notes, then I have a track of what happened. And then that starts my mind working at it. And that was that was one of them, you know, one of a few. I mean, if we if we if we're talking about if we're talking about Russell T Davies, which is obviously you know a big element in this story, and I, I mean we've talked a lot about him as as a writer and as a showrunner in the past, but one of the kind of so I guess this this comes on to the question. Actually, hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me let me just point something out. Have we? actually talked a lot about him because Fusion Patrol didn't start until uh, Matt Smith's first season. So oh, gosh. we we have talked about him when we did the regeneration episodes. We did Rose, didn't we? Yeah. We did Rose and we did uh, Christmas Invasion. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we haven't actually sat down in the middle of RTD era ex- retrospect and say, I remember when he... Did that scene where there was all dangerous and then suddenly the doctor just pulled a bucket of slop out of a dispenser on the wall and solved it? <laughs> like that kind of thing. Um, but yeah, so this is our first well, fur- live real-time RTD episode of Doctor Who. Yeah, I, 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 hadn't, I hadn't thought of that. I mean, it just it feels like it because we're obviously so familiar. And so we are in this rather unusual situation of there's a new showrunner new in inverted commas but someone who's kind of storytelling style and particular strengths and weaknesses we're already kind of familiar with David. and this is this is a very solid rtd story i mean i'm i'm very happy with it the the pacing is much better than the show has been in recent yes. years and it it the the dialogue is terrific. It zings along. Um, there's there's a lot of nice kind of character moments. But one of the things that I found when I was watching it that maybe kind of distracted a little bit from my from my enjoyment was this is like a big finish. This is all of those kind of familiar elements aping the rtd era was well, not aping the rtd eras it is actually rtd but we've got the doctor i was going to say the 10th doctor but you know we've got tenants doctor we've got we've got donna we've got sylvia and we've got a style of storytelling that feels like this could have come this could be 2011 mm-hmm. in effect it it does feel like a kind of continuation of it and not, I mean, there's nothing wrong with that per se. I I like, you know, digging out my season 30 DVDs and watching The Doctor and Donna because they were a great pairing and, you know, there, were, there are some great stories. But this is Doctor Who and it's not, it's not continuing the show. It is going backwards. And I think, you know, when the announcement was made, 
I probably expressed some reservations about this. I've still got them. I've, I was hoping they would go away, but I've still got them. It feels like RTT has, has just ignored everything else. I mean, he mentioned the fact that the Doctor had a bow tie and was then a woman. He mentions Kate Stewart, who I assume is going to appear. But yeah, there's almost no kind of acknowledgement on of anything that other people have done with the show, which is a huge contrast to what if you look at what Stephen Moffat or even Chris Chibnall did, building on what had come before. And I could understand RTD doing this the first time around, 2005. He didn't want loads and loads of continuity from the past. I guess there's the argument. This is the beginning of the Disney Plus era. I was going to say, this is season one again coming up. They've they've officially announced that. So just like Moffat did, but... Uh, more so because I think if you go to the BBC website, yeah, it's now got to twenty twenty three, twenty three and on. Yes, it is. So uh, they are, which you know, makes perfect sense for Disney. I'm not because, as someone else pointed out somewhere, if you started, you're on Disney Plus subscriber somewhere, anywhere in the freaking world, and I don't know if you got it on the um, BBC version, probably not. But just like Apple TV stuff, there's pages and pages and pages of Spanish translation actors, Chinese actors, Japanese actors, uh, you know, French actors, and on and on and on. Yeah, yeah. Because the Disney Plus has has that worldwide audience. That if somebody starts watching Doctor Who, no, we didn't get that. You start watching Doctor Who, and you see, uh, you know, season thirty six or whatever it is you're going to go, and sure, it might be good for getting DVD sales or something, but probably could be off-putting to somebody new to the show. Well, I don't want to start at 36. I mean, I think it's got to be at least 39. I'm I'm counting I don't know what the number is. 39. It's the specials from 39, like Power of the Doctor was, because I'm not going to count it as season 40 until we get Nakuta Gatwa. So, um, yeah, but... the the thing that it reminds me of a little bit it's not as bad but it's it's because because if it is driven by that and the and the Disney Plus thing it's the it's the Fox executive who wanted when they made the 1996 movie and they decided they were going to have they were going to see the Doctor regenerating into Paul McGann and yeah. this idiot wanted Tom Baker to do it they wanted Tom Baker to come in and regenerate into Paul McGann. Mm, mm. Yeah, yeah. I, I I do want to come back to your comment about Big Finish aping the RTD era. Okay, I mean yes, technically, technically they are. But and I love Big Finish. One, it's not a work. It's art, just a TV series has a different job. Isn't every writer who works on Doctor Who who is not the showrunner, in a way, aping that? So I mean, they are writing to a to a format and specifications to fit the showrunner's vision so they're all doing that yeah big finish writers are just doing that after the fact um and is there a difference between rtd was there for what four years yeah four years so is there a difference to rtd having done five years as opposed to rtd doing four years and then coming back a few years later and doing one, I realize he's got more experience and more things under his belt and whatnot. But is that really 
is it really stepping back? Because moving from one showrunner to another is not, it's, it's like that argument about evolution. That people falsely believe that man, you know, creatures progressively move into more advanced forms, which is not what happens. Creatures move into more adapted forms for the environment that they currently exist in. That's not better or worse. It is different. And uh, sometimes those changes don't work and they die off. And sometimes they, you know, so the Moffat era is not necessarily an advancement on Rartidi's era. Neither is Chibnall's. Well, certainly not an advancement that. on anyone's uh, era. Um, maybe JNT. He's down there with JNT late for me. But, you know, it is it is an, an adaption to the reality of the environment that it is in to survive. And so I, I don't think of it as going back to RTD. It's technically from a linear time standpoint, it is. But Yes, RTD has been get, RTD has been once again given the chance to reinvent Doctor Who, truly reinvent it for a new time and audience. That's the whole Disney thing, and and, and, and he ignored I a lot you, of the I, past. You make a good Doctor you make Who. a good point. You make a good point, and I I am cautious about banging on about this too much because this really is not the hill I want to die on. I would like. And I and I may I may change my mind in a week, right? I would like to not worry about this, but I think there are a couple of things that you've raised that I connected with some interesting parallels. So one one is RTD has come along to reinvent Doctor Who. That was what I hoped would happen, right? And it still could, but this is not it. He has not reinvented no. Doctor Who. He has gone back to 2010. I hope that at Christmas he will actually reinvent Doctor Who because I want to see the show move forward. That is, that is, that is the thing. And if, if you're right about the way it's evolving and, you know, adapting, I will be absolutely delighted. So that's fine. And I, and I would not object to, I did not want to see RTG leave. When he left, I, I had not had enough of his era. I thought that the, the last series with, Tennant and Tate was the best he'd done and I hoped that the next series had it happened would be better yet and even more so when Moffat left I mean I just I I loved the Stephen Moffat era I was in seventh heaven so if he had carried on for an extra year or an extra two years or whatever I I would have been absolutely delighted by that but do I want him to come back now no I don't think I do because I want to see how is Doctor Who going to become something different? How is it how is it going to enter a new era? Because that is always what Doctor Who has done. And that's part of what makes it so exciting. So that's what that's one side of what I'm worried about here. And I, I, again, I don't want to make a big thing about this because this was just a back of my mind thing, not spoiling my enjoyment. But the other, and this is real Jonah stuff, but the other little worry in my head when you mentioned JNT is that what happened to JNT without him going away and coming back was that he was a super fan of the show mm-hmm. and being the producer was like his dream job. But until you know, it by halfway yeah. through his run, he was pleading to leave the show and he got himself into a situation where he knew that if he left the show, it would end. And yeah. there's a bit of me that's worried that the backers 
of Doctor Who and it's no longer just you know the BBC now because we've got Disney Plus and whoever else that they require someone running the show who they have confidence in pulling in the big audiences which RTD has a track record for doing you know he's he's brilliant at the kind of publicity and the special I mean we'll see what happens with the ratings because you know obviously you could you would not expect them to be the same as 2009 given the change in the way people watch tv but it could happen that the bbc and disney bosses get worried about the show and the only way they'll be assuaged is if rtd stays there and he will become mm-hmm. the new jnt that's funny that's that's a real possibility I I will say this to, to a point you raised in passing, uh, that you know you're hoping that Shooty Gatwa's era will be a reinvention of Doctor Who. I did see an interview with David Tennant and uh, RTD, and they weren't specifically addressing RTD's format here, but you know they kind of asked, "Is this?" is this the 10th doctor or is this the 14th doctor? And they all, this is the 14th doctor. And so is he going to be different? He's like, no, he's not going to be different because this is a big celebration and we're bringing him back and people want to see him do him. Right. So they are very, they are very aware that this is a celebration of the 60th anniversary of doctor who, and it is a nostalgia fest. This is intended to be yeah. a celebration yeah. of the past. And so he is who he was, despite the fact that he is the 14th Doctor. So I think we can carry that through to the what J, uh, RTD is going to write. He's going to write Doctor Who as a celebration of the past. Maybe he'll maybe he'll twist it as we go towards the end of it to, to set up the new era. But he is definitely in it for... You know, this celebration is meant to be, you're supposed to remember the old days here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, okay, I want to discuss it as a celebration, but I guess my last point on RTD is RTD is very recognizable. It doesn't matter whether you're talking about this or the second coming or years and years, you know, the, the things that make his writing brilliant and the flaws are always there. And you know that's that I I love it. I love recognizable writers. You know, Aaron Sorkin is the same. David Mamet is the same. You enjoy their stuff because you enjoy their stuff, and that's kind of fine. It's just a question of coming back to Doctor Who. So I don't know. The thing about the the thing about it being a a celebration is kind of interesting because it doesn't feel like a special. RTD David Tennant episode to me. It feels like a kind of fairly solid middle of the road, could have been 2009 sort of episode. And it is special because people fondly remember David Tennant and they want to see David Tennant. And that is it, which is interesting because traditionally, like as established by the 10th anniversary and the 20th anniversary and the 50th anniversary, a, a kind of anniversary special is a multi-doctor story. It's next week. It's going to be next week. It's not going to be next week. I'm sure it's not going to be next week. 
and I'm not I'm not kind of complaining about this. I'm I'm observing it. I don't I don't generally like multi doctor stories. I think it's going to be in two weeks, by the way, because I think it's going to be the toy maker who is, you know, the, <laughs> he's he's putting the pieces on the board, and the pieces are different doctors. We've got nothing. We've still got nothing from. Wild Beyond Yonder, which is the episode that reportedly actually has a different title when it airs. And um, even the it clips is from the next crit- time, the next, there's nothing the next in there. To- they didn't they didn't show a next time trailer, and then when it's they on released YouTube. it, it doesn't yeah. actually have anything in it. That's right. So it has nothing in I, it. They're hiding everything. I agree. I agree. It's cryptic, but I don't think it's going to be full of previous doctors. Which you know, by the way, is fine. I really enjoyed the kind of multi-doctor, multi-companion aspects of Power of the Doctor, um, even if it wasn't the greatest episode in the world. And the 50th anniversary special was, well... Fantastic. It was amazing. It was amazing. I, I watched it. I watched The Star Beast, and then I watched Day of the Doctor back-to-back. And it's, that's kind of unfair to The Star <laughs> the Beast. The Star Beast. Because... Yes, it is. Day of the Doctor is kind of deliberately and amazingly well-written as a celebration of of everything that makes doctor who fantastic and what the spirit of the character is all about plus you've got all the interaction between these absolutely wonderful actors and into all of that Moffat manages to fix one of the kind of issues that he sees with the kind of one of the long-term storylines so it's it it is amazing but i i was just struck by the fact that Bringing David Tennant back was the celebration. This, I mean, this is this is the 60th anniversary special because it's the one that's closest to the 60th anniversary, and just having Tennant back is what makes it a 60th anniversary episode. Oh, see now, okay, hold on, hold on, hold on. <clears throat> I'm gonna throw my I'm gonna throw my crazy idea that just just popped into my head. Remember what I said about the clothes. And the fact that they don't fit, and we have established that when you pull a doctor forward, I, I'm thinking we might see some old, old fat doctors popping in in their costumes in his place during this episode, in the next episode. I think that's how they. Well, we'll. <laughs> we've seen a lot of clips from the giggle. We've seen a lot of clips yeah, from the giggle. That doesn't. That nothing doesn't from the. Probably under so it's possible, but anyway, that that might be why the clothes. So there's your explanation. Um, well, I'm not saying we're not going to get an, ex- uh, an explanation of the clothes, but at the end of Power of the Doctor, I was like, this is a big clue. I'm 100 percent certain. Well, no, but at 90 yeah. percent certain that we're going to get an explanation of it. And now I'm like 50 percent certain. I think it's yeah equally likely it's falling fast, just be ignored completely. But yeah, we shall see. Should we? Should we talk about the show itself? <laughs> Perhaps we should. I'm sure there's somebody sitting there in the audience going, get on with it. <laughs> oh, there's probably somebody there every week. If, if they're still listening, um, yeah. I, I'm going to throw one one out. This my first note. Donna is already dying. There's that line at the very beginning where she says, as the days draw nearer, as the days draw in nearer, something like that, I'm beginning to think, that's like that's an odd turn of phrase unless you are terminal i completely missed that yeah it's it's at the very it's at the very beginning somewhere where she's sitting at the computer i don't remember if it's in the pre-credit sequence which sucks or whether it's in (laughs) or later on when she's talking but she she says she says that um 
as the days draw near, I'm, I'm beginning to feel like da, da, da. and it could be, I'm just getting old, but she's not old enough to, to be, I mean, I don't, I'm, I'm pretty sure I'm older than Donna Noble and I don't yet start thinking I'm counting days to the end, even, even though technically speaking, we all are, but you know, there's, there's a point where you, you realize your mortality and then that's when it starts. And it just didn't feel like that. It was an odd line. And I think this could explain how we're going to get rid of Donna again. <laughs> Not necessarily that know. she will die at the end of it. Does, RTD won't do that. But no, I didn't you know, think he will. There's a there's a reason why I am not leaving my family. So yeah. this has always been RGD's problem. His companions are so close to the doctor that there just is no logical reason to believe that they would ever leave him unless they had no choice. Martha was a little bit odd, but but even there, I mean, at least she at least she had the excuse of like, I get it, it's not reciprocated. Bye bye. <laughs> but the um, others, yeah, Rose I, would I, never I, have I'm left. Not, I'm not sure I agree. It's because of how close they are. I just think that he can't it, it, it yeah it's it's kind of part of the way he he plots these things that it it I, I mean i like the way dan left for example that you can have an event that makes someone think maybe i won't carry on traveling in the tardis <coughs> tegan yeah <laughs> yeah i guess i thought dan was a better example for that one but um <laughs> And, you know, in a way, the problem goes back to Susan because sort of yeah. having the... She would having, not leave having, Well, both having the Doctor chuck someone out of the TARDIS and also the whole idea that these predominantly female companions can travel around through time and space until it's time for them to get married and settle down are both fairly problematic. And yeah. so we need a different way of getting shot of the companions. But I guess one of the problems that I have with the way RTD plots stuff, and it's kind of, again, one of these things where it is his weakness, but also his strength, is he doesn't feel constrained by anything. If he wants to write a story, he'll write it and, you know, nothing will get in the way. The, the way in which he got rid of Donna, he needed to get rid of Donna. Okay, so... He found a way of doing that. I wasn't mega happy about it then. But then he wants to bring her back, so he's just going to find a way of doing that. And the, the issue with it is, I mean, the good thing is he can he can get Tennant and Tate back together. We can have a set, a set of three exciting new stories. They're going to be very jolly and full of the kind of old camaraderie and chemistry, fab. But the downside is nothing he does actually carries the weight of oh this is it forever and it was like with rose actually the 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 kind of bad wolf bay stuff i did think was very effective i was impressed by that i was moved by that but when he wanted to bring rose back he just did and yeah that yeah. that meant that the weight of that original departure just sort of evaporated that's that's what <laughs> That's what happens when you can dispose. It's that no end game, right? He has no end game. He writes with no end game. And then he gets to the end of the page and he says, okay, now I have to finish this. And that's what he does with those, with the companions. And similarly, he's like, well, now I need the companions back. So boom, bring it. Yeah. It's, 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 don't think. 
don't don't think too hard about this because the doctor didn't erase Donna's memory. Apparently, he did not erase her memory. He just password blocked it. Yeah, I mean, why would he do that if that was if he was saving her life and he was going to send her off? Why would he have password blocked it? Because who knows? He always did a monkey. There was a Japanese T-shirt that had those words written on it, and Donna saw them, and then boom. It's that wasn't a retcon. She dies. That was not a retcon. It was not a retcon. No, I thought he he erased it. He's very explicit in 2009. If she remembers, she will die. That's there in the episode. Yeah. And if he's erased it, she's not going to remember. So the memories exist, but she's got to not access them. There's a there's quite an interesting piece by Dean Burnett about memory and Doctor Who that we can put in the show notes. He put a password on it. He did put a password on it. Yes, that's that not is true. like that's not like erase. You know, you erase a hard drive and you expect it not to come back unless you have a special tool, and there's a certain amount of time. And sure, maybe well, no, the erasure wasn't perfect, and maybe she'll get bits of it will come back enough to trigger the whole thing. That's not the same as blocking it off in a secure area and putting a password around it. That that's not yeah quite the I think, same. I think Dean Burnett's article is probably better than addressing this as if it were. a computer hard drive but let's just go with the computer hard drive and say if you want to erase data of a computer hard drive completely securely you've got to rewrite it 35 times or whatever it is i mean you'll Mm -hmm. know that better than i do but if you just if you just encrypt the drive that the data is on then no one's going to be able to access that data without the password so it's more secure the brain's not a hard drive so no you know no but it's still, it, it implies that there's a forethought that he might undo it. Because you know what's better than encrypting a hard drive? Shredding it. It's encrypting a hard drive and not knowing what the password password is with a random password. It's like, oh, I don't know what it is. But the doctor knows what it is. So he knows he might use it in the future. At least that's, you have to, you have to take that assumption, which means, but we know that was not the case. In, in the original, he was doing it to save her life forever, and there was no intention of bringing her back. But, you know, okay, fine. Um, here's another thing I'm going to say for this, and that <clears throat> probably, I'll probably regret it, but I'm going to I'm gonna throw in a, a little bit of commentary from my wife. Um, uh, I was out walking with her before the, the episode aired, and um, she, my kids won't watch Doctor Who anymore. Chibnall destroyed it for them they they simply will not they are not slightest bit interested or, or, or possibly most people when they get to that age stop watching doctor who i know i did specifically they said that they just it's been ruined and it's not because it's jody it's just because it was awful to their to their minds but anyway um my wife expressed i was surprised frankly um we talked a little bit and she got animatedly mad because of how badly they handled a female doctor um she just thought that was a, and i and i still maintain that jody Whittaker was just a chibnall just wrote david Tennant and did not have david Tennant in the role but that's always how they strike i think personally but i think that rtd in a way did more on that issue in one freaking line, even though I have an argument about that line, than they did in the entirety of Ch- Jodie Whittaker's era, which is what they just squandered. They squandered the whole idea with 
you know, two exceptions where they mentioned uh, King Charles and and in India, and and there were a couple of instances where it mattered, but it didn't really, it didn't really matter. And that that's a valid, that's a valid approach. Don't get me wrong; it's valid to say there's no difference between men and women. Period. Therefore, we can just slot in any old person here, and all people are exactly the same, and so this is fine. And then there's also the this is not the experience that this is you would have if you were female presenting and you would have a different experience and it did not happen often. see that as, as in, and it did not happen doctor, it'll be different well we'll see if that does work that way yes i think rest i think rtd will manage to do that chibnall did not but in just this one episode it's like if you were still a woman you would remember that all you have to do is to let it up which is a little bit trite um and a well, little bit more than a a little bit try a little bit sexist and uh, more than a little bit stupid but you know the doctor should remember that <laughs> and if if it were a true thing and there is more there in that line than Chidnell got the whole time that there are differences and I, I get you know it's it's entirely undermined by the fact that Donna Noble never let anything go ever in her life yeah I think, not yeah. ever I mean like so I mean there are, there are a couple of things one but I'm not going to get into the how how successfully or not did Chibnall handle those things with female doctor. I will mention that I think RTD by not casting another woman has I think he's kind of done a disservice to Jodie Whittaker because no matter whether you loved her or you hated her for some time now she is going to be the woman who played the doctor, and I don't think that's a fair. However, on on this question of the whole just let it go thing i i think that was my least favorite aspect of the episode again it's kind of down to the well you've got this meta crisis problem that you created in order to get rid of donna in the first place but now you want to keep donna you've got to get rid of that so we're going to do it in this way and it's classic rtd it's slightly clever i guess to to you know have it passed down but really fundamentally look at that look at that scene in the meeps spaceship that's a good death scene she gets there and it's like yep. this would be a better episode if she died yeah and it can't i mean partly can't be because it's rtd also partly maybe more importantly it can't because it's 60th anniversary special and everyone <laughs> is tuning in to watch Catherine tate and david tennant and so having Catherine Tate's character dying unexpectedly would put a dampener on the whole, woohoo, this is, this is a happy celebration vibe. Yeah. But it's a pity because that, that part of the episode did not work for me. Oh no, it, it didn't. And, and yeah. And, and my, once again, my wife was incensed over that. It's like, what woman would let it go? It's like, we don't let things go ever. (laughs) Like, and I can I can attest to that, at least in that one <laughs> that one case, that was that was definitely grab a bucket of slop and solve the day by splashing it around. It was, gosh. So uh, Shirley is the fifty sixth. Am I right there? Fifty sixth unit scientific advisor, apparently. Then the doctor wrongly claims to be the first. Surely he's the second. Who was the first? Surely Liz. Surely Liz Shaw was the first official unit scientific advisor. Good point. Good point. I mean, you could be yes. arguing that the Cybermen and the second doctor 
he advised the brigadier, therefore he was the first guy along. I don't know. No, gonna, no, no, no. Give it, but I think Liz Shaw was the first official unit employee who was. Yeah, it's all about him having a job. As he went on at length in Day of the Doctor, he, you know, he had a job, and he didn't start that job until he got stranded on Earth. So, yeah. I think you're right. I think it's Liz, and he has just basically her. His, his enormous ego has erased her from his memory. So, also, why is that job so high turnover? Well, that, yeah, that is an interesting question. How many of them have we encountered? Four? So who's had that title? I don't know. Okay, so uh, obviously, what's her name? Uh, the Zygon lady. Osgood. Can't think of it. Osgood, there we go. That's scientific advisor. So was she actually the scientific advisor? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. I'm pretty sure. Then we had the um, uh, the one with Lady, lady Jewel Thief. Across the barrier, they had a scientific advisor from UNIT. Oh, the, the one who was played with. by Lee Evans. Okay, I'll take your word for that. But he was, that was official scientific advisor. And yep, that's we have, that. did we have one for Brigadier Bambera? Mm, don't think so. And I don't think we had one for the Santaran Sky. No, because that was, that was shouty unit by then. In fact, I'm not. I'm not entirely clear that well, we, we know Shirley. Kate's still around. Kate Kate gets a name check in this episode, and obviously having Shirley Bingham there, she definitely seems a lot more sympathetic, and therefore the kind of faceless unit soldiers seem more sympathetic than they did in first Shouty the yeah. era. I gotta say I hate what RTD did with unit, and I yes, thought, me too. Oh, they're awfully military love again, and I'm worried. Yeah, yes, yeah, yeah. No, it's it is straight back because. I, if I had a criticism of the way Chibnall handled it, it was basically that, which was not necessarily his fault so much as the fact he didn't he have any money. But he, well, he did defund them. That was his fault. I do blame him for that. But when they appeared, it was basically all you got was Kate. There was no, like, staff. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But we're back to, we're back to, I mean, I'm hoping that they are more sympathetic because they were not sympathetic in the RTD era. They were a bunch of clownish buffoons, and I, I know that's the way the doctor looks at them, but you know that's not the way the doctor actually thinks about them. He he gives the he gives the brigadier grief about being a bumbling soldier because he is trying to get the brigadier to strive higher. I'm pretty sure he gives brigadier grief about committing genocide as well. To be fair, okay, he does on that one. He he is very upset about that at least until you know a couple episodes down the road. I I will. On the other hand, the doctor does understand sometimes you have to commit genocide. Uh, so, I mean, he's kind of done it. So, um, yeah. Yeah, yes, done a bit um, of that. But I think a lot of it was, this is, he's making, yeah, I'm not saying he excuses them for being military, but at the same time, I do believe that he was, part of it was trying to work with them and make them better. Whereas in the early RTD stuff, it's just like unit was just a force of frankly bad <laughs> in the in the story so yeah i i i was i was surprised and not surprised at the casting um ruth madeley was in years and years and russell t davis kind of often is uses the actor playing shirley yeah who was playing shirley okay. bingham but what surprised me was she was only cast as the sixth Doctor's companion by Big Finish, 
last year, no, probably the year before, it only came out her first story as the Sixth Doctor's Companion last year. And this was filmed last year. Yes. Okay. I haven't heard any of them yet, but it's... I haven't either. You know, it's remarkably fast for the... Well, doggone it, that's perfect timing. You've you've got a wheelchair ramp accessible TARDIS now. Yeah, we'll come to that. Um, Yeah, but I mean, it's it's not like... It's not like Big Finish haven't hired a unit. By the way, was Jack a unit scientific advisor? I was just thinking Jay Griffiths is now a companion to the Eighth Doctor and she used to work for unit. But they did at least wait eight years in between, whereas this was a lot faster. I don't know. know. Anyway, Ruth Maidley's great. I liked liked her character. I hope we get more of her. Yeah, that would be good if they could keep keep it a little bit more... uh... You know, maybe, maybe she's more available than Kate. It was weird that Kate wasn't there, given this, you know. Yeah. There is a fairly definite alien spaceship happening. Pretty definitely sure I... Oddly, also, the the soldier said Geneva says to go in immediately, not... Yeah. Not the boss. (laughs) Yeah. So that was an odd line, but I, I think... I think I've seen a still with Kate Stewart in it from the I last episode. I thought I'd, I'd heard I'd, James I think No, we've seen her in that. previews. She's definitely in the previews. Right. Yeah. So, okay. I mean, that. and to be fair, when I talked about using things from the Moffat and Chibnall eras, that means he's doing it. So, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, that, that part, that part good. So. <laughs> Well, yeah. Um, Bring back Osgood. I think he, also, make me really I think he also said he's going to address the timeless child, but uh, but oh. in, in an oblique way. Interesting. <laughs> so keep an ear out for that one. Um, in passing, shall we discuss the new TARDIS then? Sure. You mentioned and the new Durant. Sonic. Yes. Well, new TARDIS. Beautiful. I mean, the only thing. Hmm? Beautiful, but beautiful. That's an awful lot of wasted space just to show us you got a budget. The only thing I've got to say about the new TARDIS is I'm glad that it has caught fire already. <laughs> I think it's too big, but I uh, hate I it. I like it. Oh, really? Okay. I well, hate I, it I more gotta than say... anything else in this episode. I mean, I've been in mourning since they got rid of the Pickwood TARDIS. But which is which? But all what? the criticisms of Jodie Whittaker's. Sorry, what's interior. a Pickwood TARDIS? TARDIS. Uh, the Michael Pickwood TARDIS was was the set from mid Matt Smith to late Capaldi. Okay, that's the better of all the ones they've had in the modern era because the organic ones were Beautiful. suck. <laughs> like, I hated RTD's TARDIS, and I was really worried we were going to get that crap. I, I quite liked that. I mean, I, I did wasn't not. wild about it at first, but it grew on me. Well, it certainly, grew on a lot of things like Moss. One of my favorites. But, but the Pickwood TARDIS was just fab. Just fab. I don't know. I don't know why they got rid of that so fast. But this is this is just, and everyone else loves it, including you. And I don't understand I, I, why I, do I hate think, it so much, but I do. I do think that it's it's got real problems. Like I say, it it is stupid big. It's, it's stupid clinical. Big. It's got no character. It's got no soul. It's awful. But I think well, and there therein lies the part of the problem. Can we at least have is, a hat stand? It's too. The doctor can decorate it shooty will decorate it with his you know shag carpet well, no because it's burnt down now and that's, and that's no it's not that's, that should no. be that 
No, no, no they wouldn't not. spend that that's money the on it and then not bring it back. No, they absolutely. That's that's just temporary damage. The TARDIS can fix that. So yeah, no, that, it's just it's like unless it's a gym. Now, if if the TARDIS is is like a, I don't know if you have them over there. I would think you'd have them more than we would. Uh, like community centers where they have like indoor tracks up on the second level so that people can run indoors when they're when the weather is miserable and things like that. That's well, what that yeah. felt like to me. It's just tenant, so, tenant was certainly getting his daily steps in. Complete waste of space, but functionally, the console. I kind of like the console. I like the roundels being back. Um, I'm not sure. I like the fact they're that they look like a gamer's keyboards. Yeah, that um, <laughs> uh, they should look like a gaming keyboard with the uh, with patterns and whatnot. But my and complaint is colors. just dumb big. Yeah, well, that's what gaming keyboards do. They all they all flash and sequence and patterns while you're playing and whatnot but yeah no i i like it i like i said i like it better than any of the organic ones i don't like it better than capaldi's which i liked because it had books in it frankly it looked like his character home. yeah blackboards and levels so this and... one maybe this one will get decorated out in time i mean the doctor hadn't even seen it yet so it's not like he had the chance to bring a hat stand out but you know it's not really it's not really built to have things put on it. Those are ramps. They're not places to put a sofa and a lamp and a phonograph or a Victoriola. Um, well, a bit of smoke damage would be an improvement. So, yeah. I don't know about that. I also think that if you're going to redo the Sonic screwdriver, which I didn't know that the new Sonic came from a comic strip, I was wondering about that because that's certainly not his old one that would have come with the suit. It's a new one. Well, it's not his old suit either. So, no, I know, but style of suit. It's not an old style Sonic either. It's a it's a Capaldi ish style Sonic, and except for the fact that it now can make touch screens and force fields, which is cool. Actually. Which it is cool. But let me ask you this question: If you, with with thousands of years of experience, which the Doctor has, and you're making a new Sonic screwdriver. Don't you think that the first thing you should put into it is an anti-deadlock device? <laughs> yeah, and then you'd have to have, like, triple deadlock. Because I was not happy with the return of that. Yeah, I was not happy with the return of that. It's like, oh, I've deadlocked it. Why? What, why? Because why? there's a sonic screwdriver. Did he know there was a sonic screwdriver? Did you just, if you know there was a sonic, sonic screwdriver, you've got to write deadlocks in. You mean yeah. did that? No, it was the Sonics. There yeah. was a I, I got my pronoun wrong. I said that. I, I, I corrected myself. Um, yeah, I, I don't know. I don't remember. But oh yeah, yeah, I mean, yeah just, just the, the, get rid of the teleport. Sonic. The fact that you can do the teleport with the 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 Sonic now, and apparently I, I was know, intercepting was the, the teleport. Good timing. Good timing. You're intercepting a teleport. It's like yep. I'm just going to intercept a teleport, and hopefully someone at this exact instant happens to be teleporting because otherwise rtd don't think don't think that's the problem don't think if you think about it it falls apart and i don't want it to fall apart i enjoyed it that is that is one of the things where i i i because because what he's doing there is he's shortcutting a load of explanation around it and it's good enough it does the job and i'm happy with that i'd rather there wasn't a sonic of course because then you wouldn't have to deadlock things but which doesn't do any good. It just means you have to flip switches instead. So stupid deadlock. 
<laughs> stupid, stupid deadlock. You didn't disable the controls. Also, don't think. Do you not also think about the damage to London being rolled back? Yeah, I've got, I've got a note that, that relates to that. So I'm going to come on to, I'm going to come on to talk about money. I, I have mixed feelings about the money, and this, I mean, this is presumably Disney's money that we're seeing because yes, if you look at the power of the Doctor, there are some very ropey special effects in that, and it is clearly done on a absolutely minimal budget i mean like a student movie project type budget and the money that we've got from disney has has done two things it's given us that spectacularly wonderful street fight with the drone shots and it's given us the ability to do things that I don't think would have necessarily even been done before just because of the amount of CGI involved, like having London split apart by the dagger drive, which you then have to reverse, which is definitely going to come under your don't think heading. And so in some ways, the restraint that a budget can create is not a bad thing. There, there There is a line. There is a line between what you have to do with your imagination at a low budget and where you can go way, way too far. Now I have seen, and I did not necessarily avoid interviews with RTD and, and, and cast members because they're all under such tight NDAs that they're not given much away. Yeah. So it's not like spoilery. So, you know, RTD did say, you know, and, and others said, we've got money, which makes a difference, but they've all gone on to say, we don't have anywhere near the kind of money you have on like big budget special effects extravaganzas, but it's a lot more than Doctor Who has ever had access to. So it allows us to do more. So it's not an unlimited budget. It's not a crazy mad budget, but it's definitely a much bigger budget for them. And crazy mad for Doctor Who. It you know, it could be. So but hopefully they won't go full on Avengers movie, not you know. Yeah, okay. that's Avengers. Let's hope they don't even let's hope they don't even go in the yeah, I know. I hate the fact that they so um they should no, not I be allowed to use I thought Avengers. for a second you were criticizing you were thinking, the Avengers. I was thinking never. <laughs> you know, they Well the movie, they, the they, Avengers they got, movie, got, yes. Oh the Avengers movie, yeah, but I was thinking, you know, where did the money come from in the Avengers? It was it was the American money that made them able to shoot season four on film, which is the best season. So sometimes money's yeah. okay, but you yeah, spend there it is on a point. the right stuff. Yeah, you have to you have to still be allocating it. You can't have just like I need money for this and then go, okay, fine. You've you've still got to do the job. That's what I mean. There's a line there. There's there's a point where you've got too few, too little money for the job to do it competently. And and then there's a point where you've got too much money and you can just you can you can develop a CGI on a tidal wave and fly away on a on a parachute. Yeah. <clears throat> and <laughs> Although I, I, I'm not quite sure they had the budget to do that, but anyway, yeah. I okay, yeah, fair enough, fair enough. Um, and and the big TARDIS, I mean, that's just hey, what's the biggest soundstage we? That soundstage is bigger than I think Lime Grove was in its entirety. <laughs> yeah, right. I I think they've got more stage wasted there for the TARDIS, certainly more than they need, because it's not going to advance the story. It's just there to look big. And who knows? Maybe it's not even there. 
maybe it's CG. Maybe it's a maybe it's a volume wall. I mean, volume walls are amazing. Those are like the coolest thing ever. Although David Tennant did run around all the planks, so they must those at least must be physically well, there. He, he ran up a couple of them. We don't know don't know how much of it is there. I have to look at the behind the scenes stuff to see. Um, yeah, he I, he said Rachel, uh, the director, told to him to run around to Lely, and uh, and he had to figure out the path. So okay, yeah. so there are ramps then. Yeah, there are ramps. Multiple, yeah, he, he multiple did. ramps. Yeah, yeah. I think it's. I don't know whether the walls are there, whether those are imposed by computer, but um, I don't know. Have you ever seen how they do those volume walls? Now, Star Trek Strange no. New Worlds and and the the Disney stuff. They basically have LCD or LED screens, three hundred almost three hundred and sixty degrees, top, bottom, side, and they're rendered in real time. By um, gosh, I can't think of the the rendering engine off the top of my head, but a rendering engine, and it's synced to the cameras, so it creates the three D effect when the cameras move, and it creates lighting shining off the people, so you can get the effect. You have a mirror; it actually wow. reflects. It, it's amazing, and it has revolutionized a lot of science fiction TV shows. You don't need to build cells. You, you have to build them in the computer, and there is a technical amount of work that has to be done. But if you've ever seen it being used in a behind-the-scenes shot where the camera's moving and the whole, the whole set is shifting and changing when you're not looking at it through the camera's perspective, it looks wrong. And according to the actors, sometimes it makes you nauseous. Well, that's happening. Oh, maybe, but it looks phenomenal. <laughs> maybe it's time for them to remake Underworld. There you go. There you go. <laughs> maybe that's maybe that's what Wild Blue Yonder really is. It's uh... <laughs> I'd see. Murray Gold is back, and in your theme of things from Moffat era, I am the Doctor was definitely being played at one point. I have got a note of that. Yeah. And that, yeah, so, that, that surprised me because I Am the Doctor was essentially only ever used for Matt Smith. Yep. Which I thought was wrong no. because Capaldi is the Doctor and he should have had that music too. I don't mind him having his own personal theme, but there's still, the other ones are there. And yeah, so yeah, no, I'm, I was pleased with that. I was less pleased with much of the rest of the music, but eh, it was all right. I, I, I mean, I... Uh, Music was fine, but I have an issue with the with the titles. I so, do too. What's your on, issue with the titles? My, on my list of things that go beyond this episode, I like the big thing is to do with the TARDIS interior set. If that sticks around into, you know, shooty era, I shall be unhappy for a long time. So with the titles, I'm also hoping that they are three episodes and done because they're kind of very they're the comfort food stuff i mean if it's all about the nostalgia and making people happy for three episodes okay so be it it's not that i don't like them it's like a another version of the i guess it's between the series one and series four or between the 2005 and 2009 titles it sounded very much like you know like Murray Gold doing the big orchestral thing and the credits they were kind of they were pretty middle of the road it's good but I want I want Doctor Who to evolve these things so I mean I know you hated the bees but 
or the mice. You mean the rats? The rats. The rats. The ratophone. Yeah. The the the, the Capaldi era Who theme. But even even though it was still Murray Gold, he was playing with different ways of doing the credits, and the Matt Smith one was quite distinctive as well. And certainly, the Akinola theme was very different from all of these. And we also saw different things visually. This but this, this kind of felt like a, let's do the kind of, well, the greatest hits of the early Murray Gold theme tunes, plus the general TARDIS flying through a fairly nondescript, vortexy, cloudy thing. Yeah. Not well, gonna win the part anymore. I hate is... Not going to be memorable. Is, I, I can't repeat my exact words, but I said something... Murray Gold and his something choir. <laughs> yeah, he does like his choir. I hate that. I mean, it was okay for the Daleks. I like it when it's it used sparingly. It, you know, it was it was used in a way to create a sort of alien evil feel, but I do not like it in the in the theme. Um, it, fortunately, most of it's not there, at least till the end credits. But yeah. I did think the end credits were more interesting, actually. They're quite different, and there's this... They are. ...kind of percussive element to it that is new and therefore much more interesting to me. So my criticisms are actually much more about the opening credits than the closing credits. I noticed that the closing... I, I haven't put them together to compare as to whether or not I feel like it's just a different movement from the same piece or whether it's a different version of the same theme. But, well, they're obviously different versions of the same thing, but you know what I mean. Uh, whether it's there are different arrangement uh, of the of the same theme, I I don't know about the credit. I mean, I, I agree they look like they're they look like they've gone back to early uh, with more special effects. Will they change for Shooty Gatwa? I mean, you could look at it two ways. We don't want to spend too much money making the new credits for the specials, and we're going for nostalgia, so let's go that route. But I think I think they're going to stay the same because Chris Eccleston to David Tennant. Hey, sub in David Tennant. Remove Chris Raggleson. We're good. Go. Credits. Yeah, but they definitely wow. didn't have the money then. And Sure. I mean, I think I think on balance, I think you're probably right. I think there may be a bit of, do we want to really kind of mark the changes with Shooty and say, you know, this is an, a distinctive new era? Maybe. Mm-hmm. But that's probably maybe. just my optimism going into overdrive. Reality so is it could be. Based on some of the pictures I've seen of Shooty Gatwa, uh, some of the costumes that he's wearing, um, they could, maybe when he comes in, they'll have a version that sounds a bit like uh, music from 70s exploitation films, Shaft or something like that. That uh, that might be an interesting version of the Doctor Who theme. Give Murray something fresh to work on. Yeah, I feel like that might be a bit culturally... Um... Uh, stereotypical, but at the same time, I'd love to hear a shaft version of the Doctor Who theme. It would be amazing. <laughs> uh, <laughs> well, yeah, who knows? Maybe, maybe they will. I mean, we've, I, we, you know, seen enough publicity to know that this Doctor changes costumes a lot. Yeah, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, maybe theme tunes will change every week. We're now in Regency well, England. Like that was Matt Smith at one point, didn't they? Yeah. A little bit. They had yeah. a different title sequence every week just to prove they had money. But yeah. <laughs> um, let's see. I didn't hate Sylvia in this. 
thought she got her best part ever. Yeah, for the, I thought, for I the thought she was she was very well written in this. I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if RTD listens to big finish stuff, at least some of it. And oh heck yeah, her her, her character has had some development, so that may have helped. I mean, didn't hate Sylvia before, but obviously it was she Wilf was meant to be love. a foil. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's Wilf. Yeah, which I was disappointed we haven't seen Wilf yet. But well, I I found the whole Wilf thing really weird because I hadn't realized, or I had forgotten. I did know this. I I had forgotten that this was all filmed in 2022. Yep. And having the scene where Tennant talks about Wilf being dead. Yeah. I mean, we well, we've seen it with the what I thought was a very nicely done scene with in with Matt Smith when Nicholas Courtney died, acknowledging the fact that the Brigadier was dead. And I don't know whether you've ever watched The Detectorists, but when that came back, after Diana Rigg had died, there was a actually quite difficult to watch scene where they talked about the character having died because her daughter was played by her real life daughter. So you knew that, you know, she was acting, but acting, talking about her own mother as an actor. And so having having this where you know that Cribbins has died and yet they're not acknowledging his death on the scene struck me as really weird until I realised that that probably means that we are going to see him in it. Yes. But it still feels really weird. Yeah. It, it was. But I'm looking forward to seeing him because, anyway. Yeah. I, I heard that there's somebody said, luckily we got Bernard Cribbins to film before, before he died. So I knew he's going to be in it. So then when they did that and they said, oh, he's, you know, he's dead. And the doctor went sad. And I thought, oh, well, maybe they thought it was in bad taste. And so they <laughs> changed it around a little bit. But uh, no, I guess they just. Um, well, I'm a bit surprised they didn't change that scene. But yeah. 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 Um, it's, it's just the particular tone of it. It's it's making a gag out of the fact that the doctor thinks he's dead and he's not dead, but he is dead. Okay, to be fair, and yeah, you're right. They're making a gag out of it because he's not with us anymore is not what you say when they've no. moved out. No. Right? And you, you don't say that. I mean... No, you'd say he li- he lives in unit towers or whatever. Yeah. He doesn't live with us anymore. So anything like that. But yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that was that part was a bit of a... Uh, so what else you got? The big thing I've got left is to talk about the star beast um okay. because you know we've, we've talked about it as a dr donna thing we've talked about it as a continuation of doctor who we've talked about it as an anniversary special but it is also an adaptation of the star beast and i uh, up front i should say i have not read the star beast so it's kind of difficult for me to comment on it as an adaptation of that but i have however listened to another adaptation of the star beast with Tom Baker, who was originally drawn in the comic. So I have something to kind of compare it to there. And I mean, this is not the first time that RTD has adapted. No, that's not quite right. The first three RTD series contained adaptations of Doctor Who stories from other media that he thought deserved to reach a wider audience. So Dalek and Rise of the Cybermen and Age of Steel and human nature and the family of blood were all 
adapted in some cases by their own authoring, some cases by other people, but not RTD from audio or book forms. This is the first comic adaptation, I think, and RTD has adapted it himself. Yep. But the original was very, very 1980s. Certainly the, the big finish audio version that I have heard was Tom Baker in it is it leans into it to the point of getting Angela Rippon as the newsreader, uh, which is fantastic. It's very Yorkshire. Um, yeah. Obviously, those things you've got to dispense with because of the Donna angle. So it's got to be London. It's got to be present day. And that's fair enough. And Rose is a fairly straight swap for Sharon. And that's fair enough. I was kind of a bit sad that because I was pleased when Fudge turns up in it. But then... Okay, good. I don't remember... I, I've I've heard the Star Beast Big Finish. I have not read the comic. I don't remember the names of any of the characters. Uh, the the fact that you now say one is named Fudge explains one of the things of like why was that kid in this? Okay, got it. But that but that yeah. is exactly it. I mean, if you if you hadn't seen or heard the Star Beast uh, or re read or heard the Star Beast, I should say the the previous versions of it, you'd think what is this character doing? Because it, I thought Fudge was a terrific character. But, you know, he has almost nothing to do with it, doing this. And you just think, oh, it's RTD is just, he was going to write him in. And then he sort of forgot to to write him in. Because he's this, he's this super kind of sci-fi comic book nerd. And Sharon keeps calling him a wazzock in Yorkshire. And it's, you know, it, it's, it's lovely the way in which he is very kind of, he wants to be all knowledgeable about, these kind of sci-fi and alien things and then a real alien turns up and he's got no idea what to do with it and Sharon's the one who obviously you know starts making the decisions so it, I'd have liked I'd have liked them to carry across Fudge I guess I'd have liked them but again this comes down to the fact they've got an hour to tell the story and they've got a load of Donna stuff to fit in as well I'd have liked them to have had that slow build up where they it, 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 in the audio the um, beep the meep is kind of non-speaking just meeping for like at least an episode and a half and then you know starts speaking english as a form of manipulation and so you get a much more kind of gradual move from the cute alien into the them realizing this is a intergalactic criminal mastermind star beast is very cool yeah exactly the uh, i i guess the other change that i noticed I, I think this is pretty much oh well there's a couple of things the wrath warriors are much nicer i think you alluded to the fact that they did actually blow a hole inside of donna's house that could have killed someone two two but in the audio they turn the doctor into a human bomb and talk about using any means necessary to bring beep to justice so these are, for for perhaps modern times, these are much less naughty police. <laughs> yeah. The other thing was that the black sun has become a psychedelic sun. And I can think of two reasons for that. I'm not quite sure which is correct. One is they wanting to avoid calling it black. The other is black eyes are not as cool as psychedelic effect eyes, which did look really amazingly good. So maybe that was it. Yeah, I, I just assumed that they did it to avoid comparisons to the Space 1999 uh, episode of the Black Sun. <laughs> yeah, that must have been it. it. Yep. That was, I'm sure that was it. I'm sure RTD has seen that. 
I'm, I'm positive. So, you know, it's probably going in. Yeah, Black oh, but Pat that. Mills and Dave Gibbons may have seen that. That's true. Very, very true. Very true. Is there anything else on this episode that we should touch on? I promised you, since you had to put your glasses on in order to read the synopsis, that I would talk about glasses. I think that the 14th Doctor is wearing the 11th Doctor's brainy specs. Haven't been able to properly check, but I'm pretty sure the 10th Doctor's brainy specs were rectangular and these are round. Well, that seems like a horrible continuity error, or is it a callback for the fans? I don't know, but I'm you literally just saying it. An idea has popped into my head just now that he's wearing Patrick Troughton's trousers and he's wearing Matt Smith's glasses. I'm going to be looking very carefully at what he uses and wears from now on. If he's got celery in his pocket, we'll know. Yeah, there's celery somewhere, isn't there? You know, yeah, yeah going to happen. Like, pop open a stack and start eating celery. It's just... Uh, we're... I don't think they are Patrick Troughton's uh, trousers. I... Uh, again, after watching the episode, then I saw a clip where they talked about making the outfit. I guess David Tennant just picked out the fabric and <laughs> like we go here. This is this is how I want it to be. Uh, and RTD's like, yeah, you know, we're, we're it's all part of our design team, but uh, we, you know, we... so I, I thought that was the same fabric as the vest. Um, yes, it could it, be. It, it, it's all, but I I would consider that to be they've made the vest out of Patrick Troughton's spare trousers but his trousers were black and white I've seen them all <laughs> and they are black and white and there's no color no, there not. yeah fair point fair point you you proved it wrong was 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 uh was Sean the same actor who played him in that like momentary section yeah Carl Collins okay okay so he, he was also in Attacks the Block with Jodie Whittaker as Sean no that I would take the block was a, a film that had nothing to do with Doctor Who but was one of the few things I'd seen Jodie Whittaker in before she played the Doctor okay quite good well by the way. nice of them to get the same actor back even though he was in a far shot seen briefly for two seconds and the same but all right all right fair dues fair dues oh well you know I hate recasting so I I would have insisted on it Oh, no. Okay, so here's another one. You know how, how we've had it established that the doctor chose Capaldi's face to remind him of he has to be nicer, whatever it is, right? Yeah. So the doctor somehow yeah. picks his face. Or that the doctor chose a Cockney accent because Rose had a Cockney accent, sort of. Uh, <laughs> sort of. Did that get established on screen, or was that just RTD in the Doctor Who Confidential? I don't know. I don't recall where that comes from off the top of my head, but I I treated it as being legit. But okay, what what is Donna's thing? It's like some some husbands would be worried about going off. Yeah, but not him. Donna has a type. Donna has had a type since we first saw her. And what does the fifteenth Doctor look like? Donna's type. You know, Do Donna's type is based on the fact we've seen her with two, well, two fiancés and one who she actually successfully married, and they're both black. And so is the next incarnation of the Doctor. So, yeah, okay. That's that's his... Uh, I'm just trying to get back to Donna. I'm not sure that's a number of data points sufficient to... But yeah. It's an RTD script. We can 
You don't need a whole lot of data. You can draw the conclusions you want, but they may not be may not be the right one. I I will say uh, leave this for others to say, but I did find one thing fascinating. Um, my wife did watch this. Okay, like I said, the kids just like don't don't bother me. I don't care anymore. My wife extremely mad at Doctor Who. Really, I mean, surprisingly mad at Doctor Who. She did sit down and watch this. We did watch it together. She paid attention. She was not reading on her phone. She was not snoring. She was not, you know, she wasn't cheering, but you know, she was, she was, she watched the whole thing. And then I had a, I had a talk with her like a day later, we're out on our evening walk. And that is when I discovered that she watched the entire episode and never knew Rose was trans. What, even after it gets mentioned in the episode? Yeah. It's like, wow. how did you, how did you miss that? You get the whole binary, non-binary, binary, 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 binary. Yeah. <laughs> the non, the <laughs> like non-binary and the speech about being non-binary, but also the dead naming scene is kind of. Yes. Yes. Giveaway. Um, kind of. I didn't really catch that much in the first one because the kids just shouted something. No, no, no. They give us a kiss and they'll oh, beat them up and tell their moms. You know, the. But uh, so didn't really, didn't really catch that. Um, they call her Jason. I, yes, I did catch that on the second pass through. Um, so, so yeah, there was there was that. I, I I do have a concern about it, and I'll I'll bring it out. And that is, and this is again how RT doesn't really think through what he does. There's this whole scene where the doctor and Donna are like explaining how the meta crisis is passed on and how it's affected Rose. And you could take from that very much that Rose is trans because of all this mucking about that's happened and passed down and, and done. And then when they let it go, Rose's comment is at last I can, I can be myself. That's not, but, yeah, I mean, who it's not entirely how I read it. Yeah. I, think, I think it was more about the parallels. Yeah, the, par- the parallels about being, you know, part, part-time part lord and part-human and now being fully human, so. Or part-man, part-woman. Doctor is male, the hunter is female. Well, they said but that it, as it, much. Exclusively, specifically said that. So, one male, one female, one non-binary. It was, it was, it was not just human time Lord. It was gender specific, but except except there is a line that I I understood to be about the doctor saying that he was binary. And that was one thing that I wondered about in terms of the consequences. I mean, so basically I should say, I just loved the the whole, this whole storyline and the way RTD handles it. I think he's brilliant at this stuff, but does that mean the doctor can only be binary can only be a man or a woman that was my question from that i don't know whether that was intended to be the implication well and then there's the line well like well you know there's nothing a male presenting time lord could understand they they just point blank said you just don't get it dude yeah you're a dude and you can't get it despite the fact that they both know that he was a woman just you know yesterday yeah but now he's not so yeah i I mean no problem with line other than what we've already discussed about in terms of in terms of its kind of character stuff. I, I do, I kind of feel like the, the way that RTD approaches these things is he puts characters on the screen for them to be seen on the screen. And yes, 
he did he did this a lot with gay characters in the where you know when he was running the show in the noughties whatever we call them and there was all this kind of outrage about the so-called gay agenda which was basically just having gay people being on screen visible yeah for no for, for no particular reason other than you know why shouldn't people be gay and the there's a little bit more to to kind of Rose's character being trans in this, but it's not other other than their kind of contrivances at the end, it's not really central to the plot. It's just No, it's hey, not a trans and, character. And it a trans was character. Fantastically done until that moment when it's like, oh shit. Like, did you undermine it, what you just done? Which was which was a phenomenally good job of showing I I a, a I human don't being. think so. I mean, if anything, it was done. It was done. There, there, there was. There were lines in there that might accidentally turn out to be problematic later, but that's not a given. Whereas, for the for all the fact that I think Stephen Moffat's the greatest showrunner Doctor Who has ever had, he did just casually, sometimes make fun of things, and I don't think I. You know, I don't think RTD does that. I think he's no, he's. If if he's doing it, he's very careful. He's you know he's trying to be well. He's trying to show he's trying to trying to show people different people just as positive characters who are part of the story. Shirley Bingham, yeah. I mean, uh, there's a phenomenal line where the the soldiers have built that. Yeah, don't make me the problem. Don't make me the problem. Just go on and do the job. Yeah, that was that was yeah. terrific. And then and then she's got these cool weapons in her wheelchair and everything yeah no absolutely yeah well i am i am still looking forward to the wild blue yonder or whatever it turns out to be called i think it's going to be called the 14 doctors but that's just you know <laughs> i'm I, i'm gonna i'm gonna make two predictions they've, so they've firstly, blown their cgi budget budget on recreating all the old doctors <laughs> I, so i've 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 already put on the record that i think that we will see some previous doctors probably previous doctors certainly previous companions in the toy maker episode and i'm also going to predict the boss is the toy maker toy maker i yeah yeah i I'm wish they called him the next wolf, episode but, is know. called i'm going to predict the next episode is called wild blue yonder okay okay i i feel like i may have heard that from a cast member that said they couldn't use the name because it's too much of a giveaway. But the real name... Oh, it's actually Wild Blue Yonder of the Daleks. Yeah, see, there you go. <laughs> and I also, I have also heard a cast member say, and I think it was David Tennant uh, in an interview, that, you know, we, we shot a lot of this indoors where we can bring in guests, act artists that, as surprises, could be companions, I, I, could be who knows what. Okay, it, on the on the basis, I I know we should stop talking because it it'll be airing next week's episode will be airing. But on the basis oh, yeah. that you're right, I'm just going to express that I would like to see Jodie Whittaker back if we're going to have previous Doctors, even though she's only just gone. Because I'd like to see the Tenant Whittaker dynamic. I'd also I, I I would love it if Capaldi were in the mix too. I hope he is. Yeah. If we're getting previous doctors, yeah, uh, I think the best we can hope for is maybe eight on, 
But uh, yeah. Well, we, we know we're not getting Eccleston back. But, you know, I know he hates RTD, but you know, I don't know. <laughs> Maybe I Nick Briggs gar- talked to me. Guarantee. Not- I think you can guarantee among the doctors we're not getting back are Eccleston and Hurt for different reasons. Yes, yes. I, I was sure Hurt was not coming back, but he's not the doctor. So and Tom Baker won't come back. Yeah. So, um, but there's, like I said, remember the whole strike was over AI and, and Disney and those studios <laughs> recreating people digitally. And, uh, you know, they've got the technology. They did it with Peter, uh, Cushing. Well, Rogue, Rogue Star Wars. Wars. A fair few years ago now. So it's possible. I hate it. So I don't want them to do that. They've got all the doctors there in the computer just waiting to come out and recreate their missing episodes for us. Anyway, all right, well, let's leave it there and uh, give me a little time to get this posted for our patrons early, and uh, we'll uh, be talking about uh, whatever it's called. Well, you under the Daleks. Uh, yes, I like that. Or the Cyber Wild Blue Yonder of the Daleks. That would be all right. Uh, yeah. Simon, thank you for joining me. It's a pleasure, as always. Good. And listeners, I do hope you'll join us all again next time on Fusion Patrol. You've been listening to Fusion Patrol. Thanks for listening. If you've enjoyed this episode, we hope you'll consider supporting us at buymeacoffee.com slash fusionpatrol or patreon.com slash fusionpatrol. For our monthly Patreon subscribers, we're currently running a special series on Babylon 5. Come join the conversation in the comments section of this episode at fusionpatrol.com. You'll also find there over a decade of past episodes. You can find some of our other works at soundcloud.com slash fusion patrol. Our music is Fight the Future by Amber Wolf. This has been a Lone Locust production.